0: Welcome to the Daft Souls podcast. My name is Matt Lees. I'm joined by Quentin Smith. I'm Quentin Smith. Quentin slightly rubbed up the wrong way because I just said I was better at action games. Than just I was. before we started the podcast, and he was like, Ugh, they hate you.
1: Like it was like a parody of what people think games journalists talk about. Of like, yeah. if you being like, but I am better at
0: games. it. Doesn't matter you. though. It's just this, certain things are true.
1: <laughs> yeah, sure. But
0: you're competitive, so it doesn't matter to you. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about uh, let's talk
1: about some video games.
0: Let's talk about some video games. So I guess we just jump straight in. Well, we'll what have we take... got? What have we got coming up? Well, you've got a couple of extra things you'd like to talk about about Horizon Zero Dawn, and then uh, yeah, I've played a lot of Nier, and you've played a bit of Nier. But first of all, yeah, I mean, I say mostly over the last week, other than just d- dabbling and, and diving into. I feel like I haven't played much of Nier, even though I've played quite a lot. i um, have finished mostly, it, haven't you? No, I haven't. Well, we'll come back to that. Um, I've mainly been just dipping into to Zelda more. And I've got to say one thing that I've really realised um, about this over the past week is, A, oh my word, I feel so sorry for anyone who rushed to that game in order to have some form of like absolute hot take on it, because it is the most glorious like dip in for two minutes here and there game I've played oh, really? possibly ever. And to me, the more I spend time with Zelda, the more I realise it's a game that is just beautifully accentuates the the best thing about the Switch, uh, which is the fact that it's it's not just a, a handheld, but it's also a home console. It's the fact that it's everything in between as well. And it's the, it's the versatility of having this thing that you can just pick up and play for a few minutes In whatever context you want, Mm. whether that's just sitting down at your desk or sitting down on your sofa and playing on a TV for five, 10 minutes, or whether you think I'm just going to chuck in my bag and play it on the tube for 10 minutes. Or sometimes I find when I'm in the kitchen, I'm like, actually, I'll just leave the little screen up on the side. And in between when I'm waiting 15 minutes for something to be in the oven, I'm just like, well, I'll just have it on the kitchen table and just play it on there. You had to explore a Hyrule. Yeah, and I've not been playing it much, but it's the game which is ideal for that because you literally just pop into it and unlike most big open world action things where you kind of jump in and go, what am I doing? What, what, what you know? What was what was I doing last? What mission am I on or whatever? And this, sometimes I'm like, oh yeah, what was I doing? Oh yeah, I was going to go and do this. But often I'll just load it up and I'll literally just look around me and go, what's over there? Oh, yeah. What's in that hill? And then I'll play it for 10 minutes and I'll just go up a hill. And there'll be something on top of the hill.
1: And I'll go, cool! You want to like pour out a beer in sympathy for all the games journalists who've had to review stuff like Mass Effect and Grand Theft Auto. I I can't remember if I've talked about it on the podcast, but there was a story that um, a a friend of ours, uh, a colleague, uh, John Hicks, who used to work with that official Xbox. Yeah. His talk about reviewing GTA 4 and how they put him in a hotel room with no light, back to back with the one other journalist who had a world exclusive in like a cupboard with 60 inch TVs in front of them, and then every few hours a pizza would arrive. I've done that. Uh, I've done
0: that for like um, Call of Duty games and stuff. You just, I did it for got- Bulletstorm,
1: and it's just, it's just the the worst. Like it's like, it, it's like uh, uh, you know the same interrogation techniques that people use, whereby you just completely lose all sense of yourself and the game and quality. Yes, and then at that point, it's much safer to go, "Oh, it's great," rather than "It's bad," uh, because at least because
0: you're pissing off a lot more people with one attitude than the other. Yeah, no, that's the thing. And also it's just the weirdness of having, especially with multiplayer games, I remember with like Call of Duty and stuff, when you review those, you'd have, there would be like, oh, now we're we're running multiplayer sessions from this time to this time. So you might be really into the single player, but you kind of think, well, yeah, but I need to go and do that Mm -hmm. so you kind of couldn't miss your slots with that stuff but it does backfire as well because on the part of part of it yeah especially with that like review scenario of it just being you and one other person but i found towards the later stage of these fancy hotel things they sometimes backfired because then you actually sit around and talk to other journalists Ah. and i remember i can't remember which call of duty it was but i remember that being one where it's like the multiplayer was really strong i think it might have been modern warfare 3 Maybe but they put wasn't. you in a room with the other journalists, and then your your filthy uh, criticism was allowed to contaminate yeah. each other. And there was kind of this moment where everyone was again. You weren't sure though because you've been like blindsided by living in a hotel room with a massive screen, and everything was just like a blur. It's a bit like you know Clockwork Orange. You're just like, yeah, what it, the fuck it is it going absolutely on?
1: Absolutely, is that man where you're just your eyes are peeled back, and you are Nico Bellic in GTA Exactly. For, it's just like,
0: especially forty hours with a triple A first person shooter. It's just like boom, boom explosions, guns, but light flash lights, you're being hurled around, the. you're in a desert, you're doing this, you're in a, you're in, and it's just like, God. you're sleep deprived, it's it's too much, it's too loud, everything's too much. But then you do have these moments where you kind of quietly go, is this game <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, to with other journalists, and everyone kind of goes, I
1: thought that as well. But like, you're, uh, you're whispering this around the water cooler, like prisoners who...
0: Well, it's very difficult, especially with game design, when games are very expensively made, it's very difficult to tell if an extremely expensive game is Mm. Because there's so much gloss there that it's you kind of you double guess yourself. So you're thrilling at the fact that Breath of the Wild is just uh, it's just a nice thing to poke. It's lovely, and I really uh, there's so many people who are now. I think I saw a Polygon article going. Maybe I got this wrong when they were watching their child play it incredibly slowly and exploring and adventuring. And they're like, oh, maybe, yeah, maybe playing it 100 hours in a week was
1: oh, that's interesting. not the good idea. And very quickly, following on from our conversation about Horizon Zero Dinosaur, I had a very weird, poignant moment with it this week. I was playing it with my wife on the sofa. She was half watching and um, we got to a new area and we found a storm bird. And if people aren't aware of Horizon, and it is quite good. You could definitely play it and have a good time with it. It's very well made. Very wonderful. I think crafted. I've seen that. It's big. The Stormbird is basically a giant crow. And you don't realize how big it is. It's just circling in the air. And then it was exactly that moment that you and I were talking about. The joy of Horizon is in like seeing something and then setting your own objective. Um, So for me, there was no quest telling me to kill the Stormbird. And that made it all the more exciting of like, I'm going to try and shoot it. And then you, you shoot an arrow and it, it, it soars down, spamming lightning and snow at you. And then you tether it to the ground with ropes, starts pecking at you. And it, the fight was, because I was under leveled for it, a full 15 minutes mm. of just scrapping and all my guns and stuff were empty by the end of it. But finally it falls down dead. And that was such a pure moment where I'd set my own goals. I had brought this thing down. I'd done everything the game hadn't told me to, and then I realized it completely peaked. And I have no desire to go back to that game again mm.
0: because I had, I had, I, I kind of had that with the big T Rex thing, right? Yeah, um, and that was the same thing. Like I just used all of my ammo, everything I had. But in a way, I yeah. I kind of didn't like that, and that, that's when I found that when you were fighting the big epic things, in a way, it was like it wasn't so much peak. It was it was more enjoyable when you had these enemies that you could ambush and finish off quickly with the right tactics. When it when it then extended beyond that initial guerrilla attack of using the correct tactics to do things perfectly, but then you still have half a health bar and you have to just chip away at it with other tactics. That was when I thought it fell a bit short. Ah, uh, see, so
1: again, this might be a difficulty setting thing because on hard you just can't let it hit you. So the whole remaining, however long, is still is, is tremendously tense. Sure, and you are panicking. But in any case, I thought it was an interesting end to the conversation you and I had of like, oh, it's so cool when you have organic combats where you are totally in control. Yes, and then for me to experience the pinnacle of that. But then the downside is that then erased all the nonsense side quests from the game. Like, why would I be doing that? I've already proved my mastery of the hunt. I don't need to do the. Hunt subquests where I get mastery tokens. It's like, no, I'm the best. I killed the biggest thing.
0: Yeah, I found that bit. It's like, hey, why don't you go and kill these things? It's like, mate, I've already killed, like, what, what are you on about? Yeah. <laughs> like, why would I need to do that? <laughs> yeah, very uh, curious
1: moment. Uh, so, yeah, let's talk about some uh, new stuff then. Sure. New stuff. So,
0: I've been playing a ton of Nia. Nia. Automata. A game. Is it made by Platinum? Yes, it is. It's Ooh. made by Platinum. But it's the kind of project lead is still the same guy who worked on the original Nier game, I think. And he's not, I don't exactly, I haven't looked into it, to be honest.
1: Platinum Masters of Swordy, Shooty,
0: Gun mm. Drama. And Nier, which was a masterful, odd thing, but wasn't a terribly good game, but lots of people loved because it was just so odd. What's the elevator pitch for Nier? I don't know. I like it. It's I just, I well, kind what, of. Why is it odd? It's odd for lots of reasons. It's structurally really weird. It's kind of a Platinum uh, hack and slash them up with some like kind of of nears bullet hell stuff. Right. Of just dodging things. Those two things gel better sometimes than others. Well, it's a hard game to really pin down because it's or so you,
1: erratic. It's it, it's just a fantasy game. It's This it's, is a game
0: that's being advertised with that meme of the moon face, right? Yeah, which is not really a that much of a thing uh, <laughs> again this is why it's so weird it's kind of about robots and it's about um, slashing up robots but robots are largely used as an analogy for uh, humanity and stuff yeah and so there's that that's what you get in near as well right yeah so a lot of it is just about oh, sorry Nier Automata the, yeah. the sequel yeah no I'm talking about that now I'm not talking about near. I've not played near. oh right
1: let's keep going right
0: so near automata is basically robots and it's a hack and slash game where you've Killing tons of robots, but then the robots kind of uh, uses robots in different ways to kind of talk about humanity and stuff. It often does things which are actually like simple things, but things which um, video games wouldn't get away with by like exploring themes not with much depth, to be honest, but exploring themes lightly that are quite controversial themes. Oh yeah, but using robots like. Um, I don't really want to get into it too much because it's kind of like that. a lot of it is about the joy of exploration and the joy of discovering that stuff because there isn't actually that much more. That's the thing. I thought the combat was really quite delightful. It's fine. And this is where I was saying at the start that I kind of feel like my experiences of Nier have been coloured a little bit by my skill at 3D action games and the fact that it's fine, but I want more. It doesn't really expand at the rate I would like it to in terms of giving you more options more flexibility so obviously like my favorite platinum game has to be bayonetta Mm -hmm. which was just a delightful marvelous combination of stuff and the game really opened up once you'd finished it once and played it again on hard and suddenly had all these new options about how you could fight and you suddenly at that point just went oh my god the combat system
1: in this game is just superb i am going to send myself a note right now because i never played bayonetta 2 and i'm going to order that on the wii right away
0: maybe hold off because i don't know maybe some other stuff it might be coming out on the PC at some point soon. They've been teasing Bayonetta stuff on PC. So <sighs> maybe hold out just a week or two. See what happens. Okay. Um I still don't think it will because we've not kind of funded <laughs> it, but it's worth waiting and seeing. Okay. Because you'll bite yourself otherwise. Kick yourself. But yeah, no, it's it's not as good as Bayonetta. It has interesting elements that have already like it's started to get a little bit of bayonetta into it. But I've found that after playing it for like twelve, fifteen hours. The combat is satisfying, but I'm I'm kind of getting a bit tired of it because there's just not quite enough there for me. I want. A... You mean in terms of complexity? Yeah, in terms of like having stuff like you know being able to switch between weapons and having dramatically different combo options. It's quite simple stuff. It's quite hack and slashy stuff. Mm. It's satisfying though. It's a lovely fun system. Um, but the main weird thing I found playing it was that is the bullet hell
1: nature of it. It's the fact that you shoot like a gun game. Yes, and uh, you can fire incredible streams of bullets or like. All the time, and then yes. you're trying to angle the camera while you fight at stuff you want to shoot at, um, and then combining that with the close range sword slashing stuff yes. while doing robot acrobatics. I'll be honest; the thing I liked most is the animation in it. I thought the the sort of uh, motion capture of your robot made protagonist lady was really delightful. She is incredibly cool. I can totally yeah. see how it's the same DNA that, that gave Bayonetta so much life yeah. and anima.
0: Beautiful back flipping around whilst firing bullets. The game actually shines uh, brightest in the uh in bits like the early stages of the game that you've played, um, where you are going from having a third person third person camera action sequence where you're slashing stuff up, shooting things, but then out of nowhere the camera will just swing by and now you're playing a 2D game where either maybe it's like a two D almost like running platformer where you're still using the same combats, but you're on a two D plane running yeah. along sideways, or maybe it's like a two D shoot 'em up and like you're controlling a little ship thing and shooting bullets. And then maybe it's a top-down shooter now, or maybe it's like a twin stick shooter and you're you're going through these scenarios and it's just seamlessly jumping between every genre type you can possibly imagine between third person action and shooter. And that is like, so my jam. I love that. Oh, really? Yeah. Like there was actually a game on the PlayStation 2 called uh, The Red Star that was not that great, but I reviewed it really highly. I was young and stupid, but I love that. I love that it was like a combination between a, a kind of third person beat em up and a bullet hell So shooter. that did
1: I like Nia When it's doing those things At the same time I like a fight Where I am forced to Shoot and slash And do- dodge bullets At the same time mm-hmm. But I didn't get Anything out of like And uh, now we're changing The genre of the game Because I'm I, It's Now I'm playing a different Now I'm playing a bad Twin stick shooter Or now I'm playing A better action game Like just, I would prefer The developers focus on uh, And
0: mostly they do Because
1: the control oh, yeah, they do Is
0: shared Those bits are Yeah No but those bits are Are kind of Infrequent, And that's the. But I love that. I love that at the start because it was just so varied. It was just like the fact that they were just seamlessly blend and being like, now it's like a side-scrolling thing. There are elements of that later. Personally, I really like that because it just, it emphasizes the pace of the game where the game becomes more linear and it's just like, bang, boss fight, shooting stuff, running alongside, sideways, slashing stuff. Now you're jumping into a ship and flying around and shooting stuff and everything's exploding. I just thought it was a lot of fun. But, um... Most of the game is spent with this kind of open world exploration, uh, which is a very basic open world. It's kind of like Horizon Zero Dawn, but kind of leaning a bit more towards the aesthetic of like Earth Defense Force. Um, <laughs> the slightly shonky aesthetic. Yes. Of Earth shonky, Force. simple. It uh, has this open world that is not huge, but has some kind of fun stuff going on, like the biomes just shift, like you go from being like. In a green, leafy city, and then like you walk two meters this way, and now you're in the desert. <laughs> uh, so it does a lot of fun stuff with that. I thought that was pretty well handled in Horizon, given. Yeah, no, absolutely, it is. Like, but that's what I mean is in this, it's just like, fuck it, you're in a desert. <laughs> like, now there's sandstorms, but like half a mile over there, it's just a green, like, leafy European American okay, city. Sure. Um, some areas of the game are better than others. Some aspects of the game are better than others. It's probably one of Platinum's, I mean, that's often true with Platinum games um it's probably one of the le- lesser erratic ones but the reason i'm really struggling to like even have a sense of how good it is now is because it has this structure whereby it takes about it took me about 10 hours to complete it but when you complete it it then pops up being like hey by the way like this is a game that we recommend you complete at least twice because and there then, are twists well then you start the game again and it's you're playing through the same Sequence of events, but it's different. Okay. Slightly. But it isn't different. It's really hard to explain why. It's basically like you just, it's telling the same story from a different perspective. So nothing changes, right? It's the same sequence of events, but from a different perspective. And so far, I've found that, to be honest, that hasn't added enough. Do you mean a
1: different character
0: or a different camera angle? Uh, A different character. Okay. But so far, I've found that that experience hasn't added enough, personally to warrant me literally playing playing the same the same game. And there are some different things, actually. There are some different sections where it's like, actually, you know, this section is different, this bit's different, it has new things. But I find a lot of what it does is in the first playthrough, there's a lot of very vague stuff, a lot of very vague plotting that I enjoyed. And in the second playthrough, it just elucidates that stuff and makes things a bit more concrete and adds more information, which gives you a more concrete context to everything that you've seen in the first playthrough. But I mean, personally, I've found that that's been nice as a kind of icing thing, but I don't really see why it had to be in a second playthrough. You know, but the crucial thing is, I know this game has like seven playthroughs before you've seen it. Like most of it. Okay. But okay. I don't know how, and I know lots of people, this is the weird thing as I've been like, yeah, I kind of like it, kind of feel like it's peaked. But I've had so many people going, "Oh no, the best is like yet to come," and I'm like, "How long do I have to play this oh, game?" Oh yeah, but that's also—you're always going to hear that
1: because you're not going to get people who play through near Automata five times across forty hours and go, "That's ah, rubbish." Yeah. Like if you're playing it through five times, you like it, therefore you're going to tell yeah. people it's good. And
0: I do like it. Um, I'm just. I'm kind of yet to see why everyone's going so banana loco crazy about it. I mean, it's a platinum game. It could be the
1: case of like a Dark Souls 2 style situation where people know that platinum games, are well, platinum games, Bayonetta, but, and then that resulting in good reviews, but and, and a lot of praise because people want to like platinum games, even if this one lacks that uh, special majesty and magic that something like
0: Bayonetta I heard. think it's stylish, and it's interesting, and it is talking about about topics and subjects in a way again in some ways it feels like one of those games that thematically is interesting but in a way rather than being like this is incredible it more shines a light on how shallow most video games are it doesn't necessarily do it in a terribly right. amazing way it's just actually dealing with ideas and subject matter that games just don't touch i just i think there's a there's a
1: remastered edition of dmc dev May cry or the, the ninja theory Devil May cry yeah. out for ps4 right I think there might be. Yeah, it's in the part of a package of
0: stuff. Yeah, I want to go back and play
1: that because my god, I like DMC
0: so much. Well, this is that funny thing actually. When um, this is what I will say for near is when near is like firing on all cylinders. Yep. It it it's made me feel like the only yeah. It was like the last time I felt like this was probably playing DMC in terms of it just being like when it's like really going. Yeah. It's electrifying, and there's a boss fight against a kind of like lady robot thing, and yeah, that point I was just like, this is f- awesome. Like. And it does some really cool things with music and yeah, like it it kind of annoys me that a lot of the game is just running from A to B around this kind of drab open world when you're just like, come on. Like, But I, I know also because I know platinum games that part of me thinks, all right, yeah, actually maybe when it gets to like play through four, five, six, I would not be surprised if it does the platinum thing that all platinum games do of just ramping up into like just loads of boss fights because they just they just do boss fights so well. And actually, I kind of believe people when they say the best is yet to come because I wonder if it's like, it's just going to increasingly cut out all of this fluff and just become like batshit bosses all the time. (laughs) Because like, when when it's in that mode, when it's like, hey, you're fighting these massive things and it's all exploding, awesome. But
1: structurally, why not? I mean, would you agree that the uh, Bayonetta or DMC structure of uh, you play through it once, it gives you all of those boss fights, it gives you everything it's got in the first playthrough, which is a bit longer than 10 hours. And then it goes... Now you can go again on I'm a badass difficulty. You know, like that, a game being designed for, you know, just don't make me do it seven times. Let me do it twice or three times. Yeah, but I
0: mean, that's what I wonder is I wonder if actually the second playthrough is very similar, but then after that, they might just be, because of the way it's done it, it makes sense. They would have to be crackers to
1: to keep fantastic boss fights out of the first two playthroughs. But
0: that's the thing. They are. They <laughs> like, are and they aren't, though. I think, I mean, there's Platinum, but there's also the, the Nier guys. Like, the, the Nier was bonkers. And this is why I can't quite get a measure for it, because the game does odd things. I mean, one of the basic things it does, which is gives you an idea of like the baseline strangeness going on, because you're a robot, you equip these chips. And these chips allow you to do different things. Some of them are very boring. It's like you know, do do extra damage with melee attacks, do extra damage with, have extra defense. But some of them actually are new mechanics. Like, oh, when you dodge, like you can slow time for like two seconds, bayonetta as hell, you know. But you have limited space. (laughs) Yeah, which time you have limited space for these. So if you want to, if you want to be able to counter, for example, that'll take some slots up. If you want to be able to do this, and you can upgrade these chips and you can remove them, but you have this space, and it's like it's like a little like this one takes eighteen slots, this one takes six, but. Every HUD element in the game, like your health, your recharge meter for all your special things, and even simple things like, you know, being able to like see how much health enemies have, being able to see what level enemies are, being able to see the mini-map, they are all chips. They are all things that you can remove, right? So when you turn off elements of the HUD, it's not just being like, oh, I don't want to see that. It's, you don't see it, but then also you have more that's points that's to spend really funny. on actual, and in the early stages of the game, before you upgrade your thing so you can equip more stuff, That's huge but what's lovely about it is unlike most games most modern western games where you just they overload players with too much information and you switch it off because you just don't want that noise yeah and i mean i'm i'm kind of formulating a video about this now which is probably going to be about zelda which is why that is in this it's like actually almost all of the information it gives you is quite vital <laughs> and so when you're cutting it away it's like you are actually like you are you are actually making the game harder you're making the game harder you're diminishing your own experience for for power and which is an interesting (laughs) element like i mean there's an even simple thing like i was like oh i don't want to i'll cut off this thing that shows me like text pop-ups because i don't like text popping up on the screen but then whenever you pick up an item you don't know what it was (laughs) and that was like actually that's a problem like i kind of want to know what i'm picking up so i had to yeah. You
1: have to reinstall the chip.
0: But it does, it does odd things. And like I say, I'm on the second playthrough and it's, it's from a second perspective and I get that. But it's like, I know there's more. And I'm like, and I already I've started to realise that it's probably going to be, I don't know where it's going to go after the second playthrough. So actually, a weird way, it has this story that is like not super accomplished in terms of execution, but is constantly intriguing enough and constantly enticing enough that I'm always like, I, I'm playing more because I just want to know What's next? Mm-hmm. And I had the same thing with Deadly Premonition, except the difference, of course, is in this, the combat is really quite accomplished and fun, if maybe not quite juicy enough for me. I don't want to talk about it too much because I'm doing a video
1: on Stories Untold uh, next week that is then going to be talked about more on the Doff Souls after that. Sure. But Stories Untold is exactly the same thing of a, a narrative that is just so willfully obscure, just intriguing enough to tug you through. Um, yeah. But it resolves in four hours. You know, it's the uh, it's the... That there is something that rubs me up the wrong way of, you know, of people, anyone who says this is interesting, and then but and then ignoring the fact that it, it is interesting, but the designers
0: are kiting that
1: out over tens of hours. Yeah. Which is, uh, not it's not just that it's annoying
0: to me as an adult, but th- that makes the medium that much more inaccessible. Yes. No, and I agree with that. And, and that's the problem with it, is I'm enjoying it, but I just wish I could notch the pace up a bit, because I'm having no difficulty with the combat at all. I'm just breezing through everything it throws at me. um But uh, the thing that I cannot accelerate is... The process of having to run around the world, um, you know, even simple things like you know you, you do unlock fast travel in the game, so you can just like you know cut out a lot of this going A to B, running around. But then like when you get to the new game thing, it's like you don't have fast travel again, and you're like, okay, I get that, but I, yeah, I just I kind of wish it was a bit more respectful of my time. But I'm still really interested where it's going, and crucially, the combat is fun enough to just the fact that you are just running around doing a lot of similar stuff. It's still fun. It's still a lot of fun. It's just a case of I'm interested to see where it goes. Sure, but it's fun. It's cute. I I don't still don't understand why people have gone ballistic for it. But I'm I'm willing to keep pushing on and try and see why.
1: Yeah, I can see that. Should we discuss? It came from the desert.
0: Yeah, God, it's time to stop stepping on childhoods. Don't step on my child. So, Quentin, you were a oh, I was sad, Oh my God, lonely boy who. His only friend in the world was a digital fictional giant ant. Tell us a bit about that. I that is absolutely
1: not the role that this game played. So let's talk about um let's talk about Cinemaware, who have who were a company that existed in the late eighties and early nineties, and they made games that Rock Paper Shotgun described expertly as not inspired by a film, but inspired by films. In general, like the idea that if games could just be like films,
0: everything would be fine. Then they would be accepted as a proper medium. I'd never actually heard about these guys before this. So I now want to go and kind of look through all the games and see if there's any I've played or
1: heard of. Um, So uh, Matt's talking about the um, Cinemaware collection that's on Steam. It's about eight quid. Um, And that is certainly a lot of ideas and nonsense for eight quid. Because all of these games don't quite go where you expect structurally they're all different and despite the fact that these games have the like incredibly disappointing remit of uh, of what if games were like films the side effects of what they actually produced is games that are structurally completely fascinating yeah um this is ironically they're they're more interactive um despite chasing after a medium which involves players just watching passively actually cinema wise games in trying to make you feel like you were in a film, have all kinds of crazy stuff happening. So I put you in front of... um, It came from the desert, which I was too young for, but um, it was recommended I played by people who knew more about games than me. So so when did you go back to it then? I went back to it probably about five years after it released in 1997. Okay. Oh no, I think the game came out in 89, so it would have been 94. Anyway, uh, (laughs) I don't know what we get then.
0: So why don't you describe what it came from the desert? It's kind of a fascinating thing, and obviously, in case you haven't been following this, you can watch a video of us playing this game uh, on our YouTube channel on CoolGhost.net, or just going YouTube Cool Ghosts. Um, A whole good 15 minutes of Matt and I laughing at... Maybe 20. I I haven't edited it yet, we'll have to see. But... Yeah, so it's kind of bizarre, but basically it's an adventure game where you can choose the locations you want to go to, like a normal adventure game. However, in this, there is a clock constantly ticking and you can go around the town, talk to people, do things. Yeah, we're in a dusty Arizona town called
1: Lizard Breath. Yeah, Lizard Breath. And uh, you're a geologist, and only you know that giant ants are mutating, and they're going to wipe this town off a map. Everyone will die. Yeah, so it's basically,
0: yeah, unless you can do the classic adventure game thing of having the right events and the right things in the right order and saving them. So it's kind of the traditional, very traditional adventure game format of there is a way to do this. And you need to be in the right place at the right time and do these things. But with this, you can you can get it wrong in a different way. Rather than it's being like, you died. Um, you know, so start the game again or reload. It's just like you've got this much time to save the town, otherwise the ants are gonna come. So it's kinda like so rather Groundhog than a, Day.
1: Rather than an eight-hour playthrough, it's like a two-hour playthrough yeah. that you then do again. Groundhog day with giant ants. Yes. Which is great. But what's key is that unlike a lot of adventure games where and this is this is where you get into the cinemaware vibe. Um if you failed in adventure games, a lot of the time it would cause death or it wouldn't work. You you just can't do that. You have to follow the thread of things we have chosen for you. Whereas it came from the desert is you can go to the bar when no one's there. You can talk to the weird cultists. You can uh, look at the wrong sample. Uh, the, the very start of the game is a geologist buddy of yours brings you, sorry, a, a man knows you're a geologist and brings you a sample of weird rocks from a meteorite crash so. And if you look at the wrong one, as happens in our video, you just get a house
0: fire. Yeah.
1: Um, and then and,
0: it activates a minigame we have to put out a fire. Yeah, and this is the thing.
1: It constantly, sort of, any moment where something exciting would happen to your character, it wants to put you in the driving seat. When an ant attacks, it's not a cutscene of you running away like you'd get in, I don't know, Monkey Island it's or something. It's a You have to shoot the antenna off the ants. Yeah. Um, and it keeps throwing these strange... You didn't see it, but there's a knife fight minigame. What? um, Where the local toughs, they don't like you and your science ways, and you have to beat them in a knife fight. Wow. Or get shanked. It's
0: actually reminded me a lot of Twin Peaks. Yes. Um, Of just being like slightly strange and having like overtly odd characters and things, but then also having this sort of like the city squares who were like, oh, I don't know what all this is about. This is a very normal place. And it's like, no, it isn't. Yeah, of course, it's Twin Peaks weird. came
1: out after it came from the desert. So we can see where David Lynch got his inspiration from. Literally all of his ideas from. Every cinema games um, But you're right, though. It has... And actually, this is a whole other thing. that I mean, it's, my friends wanted me to play it because um, structurally it's insane. Like, the, the ability to... their attempt to try and model an entire town of, and that thing that we'd later see in like Harvest Moon and and Persona and stuff of like, well, you can't go to the general store now. It's closed. And you go, no, but I needed to do that today. And then you have to go to sleep. Um, But the thing that stuck with me when I played it as a kid wasn't any of the interesting game design stuff it did. It was the, it was what you're talking about. It's that tonally, it was really upsetting. Yeah, no, it's none ominous. Of, none of the humans act quite like real humans because of cinema, cinema has weird writing. Like that, you were present for a scene where the cultists, a woman rings you up and then you go to her cultist lodge and rather than the woman talking to you, it's just the weird cult leader. Just like a fish. Yep. and And the woman says nothing in the entire scene. Um, you're you know there are ants. The whole thing does
0: have like the kind of stressful vibe of a of a nightmare. It does, yeah. Which but, is like like there's this ominous sense that you know something terrible is going to happen, and you're trying to convince everyone, <laughs> but no
1: one's listening. You're to totally you. right,
0: and, and then it, it's like oh, you've got to listen. So
1: you get attacked by an enormous, terrifying ant in a monstrous mini game. You shoot up its antenna and you're like Jesus. And then you go to the mayor. And the mayor goes, sounds like you're full of shit, son. Yeah, Get out. Yeah, leave, uh, let us to leave our nice little town. You go, go to the radio station, they're not interested. You go to the newspaper, they're not interested. Um, but all of this, th- and, and that is your central problem. It's that, um, it's that people don't trust you. And that is actually something quite rare for games. Uh, my wife was at an AI conference on Monday, and Emily Short is working with this company that's doing a, uh, essentially they're, they're doing AI-related conversational games. But one of the things that was present in this AI that was demoed on stage is that uh, that Lee was really impressed by is that it would close up. So it wasn't just that you have to ask the right questions or pursue the right uh, sort of evidence threads, like in her story, right? But you have to do it the right way, and the AI will shut up. You have to talk to the AI nicely, and that kind of um, gentle conversational approach tends not to be done in games. It's
0: even the fact that we've, you know, over the past ten years, it's it's sort of clearing up now in favor of Cthulhu, which is the new black but zombie games for example for ages and ages and ages like this is kind of the equivalent of a zombie game where rather than it being like
1: oh zombies
0: kill the zombies it's like the point where Things are kind of going weird and no one's listening. Like it's kind of like, oh, there's a weird thing going on over there. Like, yeah. what's going on? Like, what was that thing I listened to recently? It was Pontypool, which I know got made into a film, which was okay, but it's really enjoyable as a kind of radio play production. You can listen to it for free on on YouTube, um, because it's like told from the perspective of a radio station. So it's like it's wonderful in the fact that when you're listening to it on on headphones, it's like you're listening to a radio show, but then it's like has the bits where they're when they're broadcasting, it sounds like this and hello, welcome to that. But then it's like they cut it off and then it's a bit more incidental and just conversations. But again, that's kind of a story about the outbreak. And yeah. what's most striking about it is the fact that people don't want, people are like, no. Nah. <laughs> like weird things happen and people go, that's nothing. It's probably nothing. They're, they're just mad or whatever. Like, and, and it's that point of like, by the time people actually start to go, you know, and like with a real thing, like in this scenario, it's like with the ants, like by the time people start to go, oh, actually, hang on, no. He was right. It's too late. Yeah. Like, and it's that that window of like just trying to convince everyone that actually no, the world is about to collapse because zombie stuff, zombie films, zombie games always have that as like you know incidental background in the. In the start is being like reports today about an unusual outbreak of violence in a hospital, and you're like, oh yeah, 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 but but actually a game about that bit where you've seen that and you're just going around trying to convince the local newspapers and convince the police that this is fucking yeah,
1: that's cool. It's interesting, isn't it? And it's it's in a weird way. It's the it came from the desert is uh, the most. Unhuman and the most human adventure game that I played as a kid. But, uh, unhuman because, like you say, it's incredibly weird and surreal. Because in within text adventures, it's very difficult to do human beings. Yeah, like it's the Uncanny Valley writ large. Um, and yet, it wanted to tell a human story. CinemaWare wanted to give you games that were. Um, uh, sorry, I've just I lost my thread because I've just remembered. I think something a game called KGB, which was also just the most deeply unsettling adventure game where you play a member of the KGB and it's awful because you have so little to go on in both of these games of just tiny thin sentences and you
0: you it is like a nightmare because you can't express the complicated feelings that you've got it is as well i think the 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 thing i would say the fun thing i'd say anyway about about it came from the desert is that it is actually it's such a, a simple little twist on the classic uh, format of that adventure game of all it is is most of the time an adventure game to progress, you need to do a certain thing in a certain order. And if you can go to all these different locations, the way that these games used to handle that is you can't go to these locations. You can go to one of these three locations. Or like, mm. it would be like there's 20 locations you can go to, but right now you can only go to these ones, just to keep you in there. But by doing the system where it's like you can go anywhere at any point, it basically just means it's the same format, but you can really easily just waste all of your time. And the the failing of it, I find, really, the thing that makes you think, God, this is such a cool idea, but the execution is pop, is the fact that so often if you just go to a place where there's nothing there, then you've just wasted like four hours and it's just like nothing happens. Like you don't even get an incidental <laughs> conversation with someone yeah. that you realise was a waste of time. It's just like, yeah, the bus closed. Well, they had to animate a lot of ants. No, they did, fair. and it's a game that came out a long time ago. But it's like wow! Now with more resources and more time and more writing. Well, the like, thing you said in the video awesome.
1: is um, this is this is in a lot of ways the game that Deadly Premonition should have been. Yes, because the thing everyone loves about Deadly Premonition is you know the, the what well, the characters, the stories, the weirdness, the driving around.
0: But it has this whole town you can just go to at different times and do things. But. And that's But that's not never, where the game is. Because no. The game, it, w- it never requires that.
1: No, because it was like they'd wanted to make a third-person action-y game in a sort of Silent Hill stripe or Resident Evil stripe. Um whereas actually maybe if they'd grown up playing It Came from the Desert, they would realize you don't need any of that combat. You can just have awkward conversations and very sporadically ants, oh, or man. whatever you want to replace the ants with. That would be a great mod for Deadly Premonition. Just Giant remove Earth, diffi- all per- of the combat. <laughs> I, are you kidding? That's what I wanted from that game. I mean, it would be better. I mean, we've talked about this, but that's what I want from Mass Effect as well. And what I think a lot of, it,
0: you know... It kind of is weird that they ha- don't do, because it does seem increasingly that the, the main people who love Mass Effect are people who just want to go and uh, like seduce aliens. So I kind of find it weird that they haven't made that But again, it's maybe this sort of weird stigma of like, no, you can't have EA, you can't be putting out games about shagging aliens and nothing else. But it's like, go on, EA, you'll make loads of money. Do you think we have any questions about shagging aliens in our mailbag? Uh, I don't know. But let's have a look in our mailbag. Question time. Hello there. Why don't you relax? Take off those shoes. It's time for a question from you.
1: The way you said that made that sound like a mailman. Mm. a mailman's bag. That's also not what I was Man's trying to express. Bag. A mail bag. You don't want to separate those two I know, words. I know.
0: You're right, I don't, but I did. Before we go into <laughs> questions, I just want to really briefly mention actually something. We had a comment on, and we're always saying, you know, at the end of videos, come and look at commoncoolghost.net, look at your comments on the videos there. Oh yeah. And it's because you do, like you always get like at least two or three comments underneath the video, which are
1: as worth looking at. No, that are more worth looking at. Than on Shut Up and Sit down and Cool Ghosts both, the most upvoted comment is like better than anything we've said yes. in, in the content. Yeah, it's itself.
0: it's it's like it's kind of actually like a lot of the time I find, especially with YouTube comments, they often don't really add much. Yes. Every now and then they do, every now and then you get something great, but majority of the time it's just fluff. Whereas with comments, if you have a dedicated comment place where people can come because they have something they want to say rather than just reactively saying something because it's a part of the platform and the way you're supposed to use it.
1: <laughs> yeah, YouTube comments are the equivalent of that thing where you
0: hit someone's knee with a hammer and it flings up. Exactly. It's, like, it's say anything. People have been trained to do that. It's part of the way the platform works. It's not people's fault. It's just that people have been conditioned to leave comments. Yeah. So anyway, one of the comments we had on the last podcast that I just thought it's kind of weird, but it really stuck with me. Uh, it was a guy called oh, perhaps a guy or a girl I don't know, called D um, uh, who talked about living with horses because we'd been talking about horses and talked about how it was sad when they'd inevitably died. It was kind of a strange comment that grabbed me, but it went on for a bit. And the, the Part of this long comment that I really liked was talking about this is great. Yeah, he was saying, this is interesting, basically, because we were talking about, um, about how when we talk about games that, that like, we love, that are all outdoor and exploratory, and this person loathes, they say, I talk this up to there being Londoners and not having a lot of green space Of <laughs> a so, See, one of the things I do to pay for my health insurance is walk dogs for my neighbours up and down the mountain I live on. So already this person is awesome. So foot travel isn't about the view at the end for me, it's about the process. It's about checking to make sure I have all of my equipment and is in the easiest, most accessible layout, and then being in the moment, constantly supervising these horrible, naughty animals. The world is not a picturesque vista. Well, it is but it's once full of corpses. Seriously, there are more dead things out in the woods than you will ever realise until you have to travel through the land with a willful Yorkie pup at your side. Or maybe it says Yorkie Poo. Maybe it's Yorkie Poo is a, a type... I almost said brand of dog. That been like, uh, <laughs> oh, you are such a Londoner. <laughs> a brand of dog. Uh, it says, I don't want to... I don't want my games to simulate walks for me. I want the opportunity to pretend to possess a power and sway over the world and my circumstance that the existence of my neighbours. Yorkie, with his endless stubbornness, implicitly denies me the little rat. So I just thought it was an interesting thing and I was walking up some hills again last weekend and it kind of reminded me, like I did walk past a couple of very dead things and I was like, oh yeah, like there is this tendency for us to be like, oh, I want w- Walking hill is I, magical. And I saw this view and actually this reality of... It's not all about hills and vistas. And Actually, nature and the real world is just full of dead stuff. Everywhere. I've definitely
1: talked about this in like Dark Souls, like one or two or five or something. But the moment in Red Dead Redemption uh, that where the game absolutely peaks for me is when early on you are staying on a uh, on a in a farm, like a ranch rather. And they have horses, or, no, they have cows. I think. Anyway, the horses get scoured because it gets scared because it's a thunderstorm, and it's one of the most tense moments in the game because the person who owns the stable says, you know, they're going to run off, they're going to run off a cliff, they're just going to die, and it's so tense. And all you need to do is guide the cows to safety. Yeah, but it's a moment that instills the pure terror of like, I guess, reality of like of how nature is just in unbelievably dangerous in weird ways that you don't assume that you don't think about. It made the world. I remember
0: that as well. It sticks with you. It, it would s- and it's weird that like it's really stressful that all these cows are going to kill themselves, and that would be sad, but then for the rest of the game, I was more than happy to just go and blast the fuck out of every raccoon I saw or whatever.
1: Well, right, yeah, that
0: is a problem or a thing. Yeah,
1: But um, yes, I think there's certainly... We're currently in the phase of, uh, you know, nature is nice, we are enjoying nature, but I think that's all... But I'm far more interested right now, purely because we don't have it, in let's explore nature at uh, the sharper side of it, you know? And that's why The Long Dark interests me so much. Because you see a forest in Horizon Zero Dawn. I keep going back to that because whatever, it's current. Um, but you see a forest in that and you're like, oh, a forest, I will trump through it, la, 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 la. Whereas you see a forest in Long Dark and you go, mm, that's going to confuse me.
0: I don't want to go in that because I'll lose my way. It's still interesting, though, that um, to me, it's like, I think what this comment made me realize and was, was an interesting point is that in some ways, whilst things are constantly evolving, constantly changing, some things never change and stay the same. And in many ways, in the same way that affluent, uh, city goers have have uh, have basically romanticized uh, the country forever. There's always been that thing of ah, oh, you know, even though, you know, I'm going to go and live in the country. Well, not forever, but ever since because we had since we've had urban societies, right? People are like ah, oh, the country. I'm going to, I want to move to the country, and this this romanticized view of the and the wilderness. And in a way, the Long Dark is just another element of that. It's a romanticization of of survival and and traditional it's, basics. It's kind of the least romantic survival game I've played, but it's a different kind of romanticism it's romanticising it's romanticising stuff in the same way that like Midlake by Ros- Roscoe's you know first album about about what it'd be like to be you know to live in the 1800s and be someone with an axe and have to l- chop wood to make yourself a roof and it No you know what and... you know
1: what that is so many survival games that is absolutely Minecraft but The Long Dark is uh, uh, it's more of a horror game no, or yeah. at least the early build of it and it's completely fair that you would assume that but the fun thing about it is that uh, I don't know. It's 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 slightly different from what you're saying. It, what you're saying is 50% correct and it's 50% unfair to but the But you're girls. still
0: surviving. You're still No, like,
1: it's uh, the well, current the current build is like you survive for a short period of time and you die.
0: Well, fair enough. But I mean, I think it's just that's it's, You're not thriving. I'm not saying that that's exactly what that game is, but it's definitely the place it's came from. It might have evolved into something else, but all of these games, all of these things come from this romanticization of 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 the wilderness and the wild or the country. And- Fun thing. Do you know about ooh, 130 years
1: ago, um, there were games that romanticised living in a city? Exactly. Uh, there were board games uh, that... Because cities were kind of... Uh, they'd captured the public imagination. There are American board games that are around 1880, which are themed around, go to the city. And then you land on a space and it's like, you are mugged. (laughs) Or like, you roll another. And it's like, you have
0: lost all of your moral fiber. Well, that makes sense when you had a world where like people did live in cities and increasingly lots of people lived in cities, but you still had lots of people not living in cities. Whereas now when, you know, in like the Western world, especially like, you know, the majority of people like, not the majority of people, but most people live in cities. Like, you know, it's high density. Or large towns. Certainly places where they don't necessarily have access to, you know, nature outside of their front door. Yeah, it kind of makes sense that like, that's kind of like where the money is and so that's where the things are and Mm -hmm, it's just an mm -hmm. interesting thing. Like, you know, in some ways, like, you know, you don't have many games about exploring cities or when you do, they're like the big city everyone wants to go to. Why now?
1: Why are these games coming out now? Like this was still the case when board, when video games were in their heyday of like 80s, 90s, noughties. Why has this stuff cropped up now?
0: I think it's interesting. That's an actually an interesting topic for people if they want to go over to well, the website and say what they think. certainly
1: say what they think. I'll throw in that I think it's probably something to do with the same uh, surge of whole foods and farm to table nonsense. And... But again, I
0: think it's always been there. I think it's just now like technical stuff is increasingly, especially because you have to remember the video games when they started out, they were not just the reserve of the affluent. They were things that everyone did in pubs and arcade machines. I mean, they still are the reserve
1: of the affluent. They're still the thing that everyone does on their phones. This is why that, like, you know, stats that yes. 42% of, or 48% of uh, video game players are women. But it's just like the the noisy members of the game press consider
0: certain games more valid. But that's why it's interesting that really, if you look at the serious games, AAA games, proper games area, a lot of it is these big open world, you know, experiences of being in open endless prices. I feel
1: like we're enjoying the... Op- the openness is something we're thriving at because the tech is then mm, Possible. Uh, let's... Uh, but I, I, Matt, I, a f- question. I feel sorry for the people languishing in... Uh, oh, Matt used the mouse and I used the keyboard at the same time. That's a genius. Our eyes met.
0: But no, I think it's an interesting question. People we should kissed. talk about that in the comments and say what they think because I'd be interested to hear what people think.
1: We should talk about us kissing.
0: Let's do a question.
1: Yogi B says, "I If you're not... <laughs> Sorry, every every week. Uh, if you're not aware, we uh, get questions in the world's best way on the Daft Souls podcast. If you go to coolghosts.net, you click on Daft Souls, you can navigate your way to our question thread. And what people can do there is they can leave comments and they can upvote other comments. We can delete the comments. All questions are public. It's entirely transparent.
0: Yeah. If only the damn politicians would. <laughs> the way it works is that the most highly rated uh, questions are the ones that we answer and them want to answer. They get deleted forever, so we don't answer them again. And yeah, but it also means that even if you don't have a question that you want to ask, you can just go and maybe upvote some of the ones that you think you'd like to hear answered. Speaking of politicians,
1: uh, the format of Prime Minister's Question Time in the UK is
0: now adopting what
1: they're calling the Cool Ghosts uh, format. Are they actually... That's a fact. That's a made-up fact. Yogi B writes, I've seen a bunch of commentary on The Witness saying things like, all you get when you solve puzzles is more puzzles, and it made me wonder about what makes games enjoyable. Do puzzle games need story nuggets or unlockables after solving something hard? Do all RPGs, or even shooters like Destiny, need loot and progression systems? Is pure gameplay enough nowadays, or do games need, uh, air quotes, rewards to be truly fun and to keep people playing? It is a tremendously weird... It's a great question because the answer is so thorny and odd. It is, isn't it? Um, I feel like it, so much of it is to do with expectation because I think about some of the greatest... Let's stay on the subject of puzzle games for now to like make sure we don't go fully mad. Uh-huh. Um, I think about some of the greatest uh, puzzle games that I've played. I think about The Witness, sure, but I also think about Space Chem by uh, Zaktronics, which is just a phenomenal uh, puzzle game. And I think about... Um, Infinifactory is your oh, favorite? Infinifactory came late. It was the sequel to Space Game, yeah, basically. Yeah, but Infinifactory is, uh, yeah, it's probably what I'd put people towards, but that does have story. So I'm going to stick to Space Game. I'm going to think of Guru Logic Champ on the GBA. Jesus Christ, that's a blast from the past. Um, but those were games which had no story. They're just mm. It was just puzzles that were so good. And by not having story, I didn't
0: mind that. But uh, Space, you mentioned Infinifactory, right? I mean, I haven't played it. I actually found out Space Game was too hard for me. I wasn't interested. I bounced off it because I just thought this is too hard and not rewarding. Um so I think puzzle games is unfortunately such a wide genre that what people want from it is massively different.
1: Well, just to finish my thread, so Space Cam doesn't have uh anything between the levels and that well, very little, and that's fine. But Infinifactory sometimes does. And so while these games are completely okay if they don't have rewards, it's it's if I expect a reward and I don't get it, then I'm annoyed. And so if if you are going to have, uh, you know, rewards in your game, it's more about that it has consistent rewards. Yeah. And actually, I remember when The Witness annoyed me the most is when your grand reward, and this isn't a spoiler, but when you you
0: play The Witness pointing giant, how
1: far did you get in The Witness?
0: Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, it's very really hard to, tell how far I got because it's kind of nebulous in terms of just being like... How many lasers did you
1: point at the mountain? Oh, a couple. Okay. So when you point enough lasers at the mountain, guess what happens? You go to the mountain? Right. Um, But when you are inside it, um, it, it's another world of puzzles before you get to the end game. That was the point that drove me insane because it was the game kind of... The game had led me to believe in its structuring that my opening the mountain would be a reward and it actually leads you to the hardest puzzles in the game. And so... The Witness would have been fine if it was just me pottering around and solving puzzles, but the moment I had to put it down was when I didn't get the consequence that I was expecting.
0: Yeah, I mean, I kind of, that's why I sort of uh, didn't really get into The Witness, because I felt, it's interesting, I've never seen anyone say that, actually, even though people have been saying that, being like, all you get when you solve puzzles is more puzzles. Oh, but, but that is, that's that, kind of how I felt that about That sentence it. is
1: nonsense, though, because that is every single video game. If you solve a level, you get another oh, level, that's your Oh, no, I know, that's I reward. know,
0: but I mean, I'm not saying that that, like... The problem is that is. you didn't
1: enjoy the puzzles
0: otherwise getting more puzzles would delight you. Yeah, no, I, I think that's it. I think that the problem I found with it was I found that the puzzles were uh, more frustrating than enjoyable. Okay. I found that when I had the period where I worked it out, I often found that... Well, it was a combination of things, actually. I think I found that when I worked out the puzzle, I often found that um, the actual execution of doing the puzzle, even though when you knew how to do it, then executing it, I found a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them, then took longer to do than I was it's, wanted. The reason I like
1: it is that it's a... You're talking about being good at one half of the win. So sol- figuring out how the puzzles are solved is one half of the winners. actually solving them is the other half. And I kind of why I enjoy it is because it's a mix of perfect logical thinking and then lateral thinking. And I think some of the my the Witness was some of my favorite moments of gaming in that year when you realize what puzzles refer to and whether the way they refer to elements outside of the puzzle. Yeah, is just when you're figuring it out, you have that thing that Jonathan Blow also did in Braid, where you go, "Oh, that's so clever!
0: Oh, I'm so clever!
1: Oh, the designer is so clever! Oh, I everyone, didn't get that with everyone, it, everyone is clever thing."
0: And I got that with Braid, but I didn't get it so much with the Witness. I think I just I just found I don't know I don't know if I was trying to go through it with too much pace or was expecting more from it you might have just p- picked some boring puzzles to i also
1: just like that it puts puzzles in front of you that you can't solve yet which i shouldn't like but i do and then you anyway yeah no you learn the language and then you can yeah but we're getting uh we're getting off topic so uh let's get to the back to the nut of the question do games need nuggets or unlockables after solving something you see
0: hard? i think that no but i think for me the trick and this is just a personal thing that what i need to make it is not the reward; it's actually like, and not the kind of progression, but actually, it needs to be on the the moment to moment is satisfying. So actually, a lot of my favorite puzzle games are games where. Well, let's now we let's broaden it. Let's just talk about
1: the idea of. Well, I was just
0: going to say, reward. like, I, I really like two games that I really loved that were puzzle games: were Pullbox on the the three D- uh. DS, which is like a kind of three D platformy thing, and again, another similar one, which is a three D platformy puzzle game, was Catherine. Uh, when I like oh, the gosh. fact that you have these puzzles that are difficult and obviously very different pace. Catherine, you've got to be really on it and constantly working out what you're going to do next. But I like that it's a puzzle where you never have that period of going, oh, I know how to do this puzzle, but now it's just I'm going to have to enter it. Because I'm the sort of person where as soon as I understand a puzzle, I just want to go and do it. And I, I, don't, I don't want to have any time wasted by the act of... Because then I find that I, by the time I've finished the puzzle, even if it's like five seconds, I feel that like all my satisfaction of having finished the puzzle is gone because I'm like, oh, come on, just do it.
1: Okay, but you are talking about the thing that I... Uh, was going to say, which is that ideally in a game you don't need a reward because the puzzle itself, the challenge itself is the most fun thing. Yeah. If you've structured your game such that you need rewards, if it's like, oh, I did this unenjoyable thing but now I get something nice, then already the game is massively flawed because yeah. you didn't enjoy the thing in the first
0: place. Yeah, which is a huge problem with the, what he's talking about with RPGs and, and loot and progression systems because it's so easy with that to, to find yourself playing and doing things and see people making complaints about Destiny or games like uh, Ubisoft's uh, christmas simulator i can't remember the christmas uh, what the division um oh <laughs> um, and and basically like see people going oh yeah it sucks i've got to like kill this boss like 30 times or something it's like well no what like and i think it's so easy to fall into that it's so easy for those those systems to take over and 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 then have people complain about having to oh, play the game
1: the ultimate version of this is uh the ultimate version of how complicated the answer to this question is uh, that we haven't talked about the podcast yet is uh, the Duelist expansion. Mm. Uh, so Duelist being uh, the card game that Matt and I love to piece, or we, or we used to. Yeah, I want to check it out again because they've added more stuff now. Uh, but, but it has the same purchasing card system. Does it? Yeah. So uh, what we're talking about here is that Duelist was a game we love to pieces. tactically. We think it's far, we we prefer it to Hearthstone. Let's not get into that kind of uh, We've done that. We've done hard work. Um, so they released, really, they, usually with uh, Duelist, you play and you play and you get gold, and then that lets you buy a booster pack full of cards. Great. They released an expansion uh, recently called Bloods. Something. Let's call it the Blood Expansion. Blood Spell? Bloodborne, I think. No, it's not Bloodborne. They wouldn't it's call something it blood like born. that. Um, blood. Let's call it Blood Spell, because we're unprofessional. Um, but the thing about the Blood Spell expansion is it was a massive wad of new cards that you could buy in one go. You could give them $20 and immediately receive all of the cards, which was great. Most exciting thing in the world. Matt and I both
0: did it, and as soon as we did, what happened? The, uh, the game wasn't fun. Yep. And the game wasn't fun for two reasons. It was the fact that partly because everyone had done this, and meant everyone had all of the cards so you didn't get much variation with decks and people were just using optimal decks Yep. also it meant that there was less variation with styles like you have like usually before then you have like four or five different tactics that any one class might do but because all of these new cards were great and because everyone had all of the good cards you needed to build this deck which was rare it just meant you kept playing against the same deck type again and again and okay again. so that's not what I was going to say and that's half of it but then the other half was you lost the, the joy of getting things yes
1: so it being a game where as a human, you've associated the value of all the cards with, um, with a card is worth this much excitement in my head. And so obviously, Matt and I, I wasn't even playing Julius at the time, but I wanted to buy that expansion because, oh my God, so many new cards. And then immediately having that many cards instantly devalued every single card in my collection. And I didn't care about collecting new cards anymore. Yeah. Um, so I only bring that up. And obviously all the structural stuff, Matt says, is true. And what's interesting though, is that in the real world, I actually prefer the format I prefer buying expansion of cards because in the real world you don't have the this is a side thing but in the real world you don't have as much um, uh, refinement of the same decks if, if people are playing a thousand games of you Jewelist don't play minute, as many games you just don't people don't play as many games uh, and you don't have the cross-pollination
0: of deck ideas so with Duelist people can immediately find perfect decks and there's a two-way street with Duelist of like you play you play and you lose and you'd be like oh and you you could always have that sense that maybe if you had some better cards then you'd be doing better and maybe that's not true it's half the time it's not true like you're just not you're not playing as well as you could be but knowing you didn't have full access to stuff and as soon as you have full access to stuff you lose the uh, impetus to keep playing because in a way it was great because it means if you'd be doing really well then that'd be great but maybe you weren't doing that well but then you get a great new card and you're like I'm going to rebuild my deck with yep. this card so it always kept with that momentum but um yeah it, but it was bizarre because on paper that change was like amazing and we were like oh this is brilliant well done well done <laughs> and actually in reality it just completely immediately killed our enthusiasm for the game yep. so Yeah, sometimes the right answers are not good ones. So we've given, you know, a bunch of answers to this question, but hey,
1: what a great question.
0: Thank you very much for
1: listening to the Dark Souls podcast. We'll be back in a couple of weeks to talk about some
0: other stuff.
1: I'm going to play more Rain World, and I'm going to tell you
0: what it's like to die in a wet factory. I'm going to try and complete near five more times and tell you if it's (laughs) worth buying. Um, Yeah. Thank you for listening. If you've really enjoyed this, a couple of things you can do quickly: if you if you've got the time and the inclination, you give us a review on iTunes if you fancy it. You could pop to Cool Ghosts. So those reviews really make a difference, Matt. I don't know, but, but it's no, a nice that's thing not what do. you say.
1: You say yes, they do because they do.
0: Okay, they, they do. They,
1: they drive us up the charts. I don't know. They they massively increase visibility because your reviews. Uh, actually kind of fade with age as well.
0: Oh, yeah, they do. Yeah. Um, so, yeah,
1: if uh, it, it's important for you, new person, to listen to this, even if we have 200 views, because the fact that we have 200 reviews doesn't matter. What matters is how many reviews we got recently. Are we hot now? We're am, not. Am I We're hot? freezing cold. Oh, I'm so cold so in this underwear. Please warm us up. Just take the photo so we can go home. And body. Yeah, do that. Why not?
0: If you really love the podcast, uh, you could always think about supporting us on Patreon, which is Patreon forward slash cool ghosts and uh, yeah just maybe a couple isn't of it patreon.com slash
1: cool yeah it probably
0: is yeah I mean you'll find it it's it's, <laughs> <laughs> Google it's, it's some a, nouns it's a beautiful tool
1: just chuck in patreon cool ghosts those are words either
0: way mainly thank you so much for listening we enjoy doing it and we will see you next time with episode 92
1: 92 92 oh goodbye bye